0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Let's stand together. And we are going to stand amazed in the presence this morning. Let's sing together. Tell With all your strength Love the Lord your God With all your heart With all your soul With all your mind And with all your strength With all your heart With all your soul With all your mind With all your strength Love the Lord your God With all your heart With all your soul With all your mind with all your strength. I will serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. I will serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, I will serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Soul, with all my mind and with all my strength I would love you Lord with all my heart with all my soul with all my mind and with all my
1: strength awesome good morning you guys can sit down or be seated is probably a better way to say it shouldn't I say it that way well it's good to see everyone how are you doing this morning it's game day. I mean, I mean, it's the Lord's Day, right? Um, man, it is, it is good to see you all this wonderful morning. Uh, I would love to extend a, a warm welcome to any of you that are guests or visitors with us today. We are so glad that you chose University Baptist to be a place to worship this morning. Uh, what I would love for you to do is if you have your worship guide, uh, you can open it up and there on the right hand side is a little place where you can fill out your information and, and your details. In fact, I'd also tell you that if anything has changed recently, even if you're not a guest and you want to update some information, that's another way that we can get updated phones and emails, things like that. But if you could fill that out and just put it in the uh, offering plate when that passes by, later this service, we would really appreciate having that update from you. But we're glad that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, Just a couple of words uh, that I would love to make you aware of as we begin our worship today. Uh, Obviously, it's, it's the weekend for Martin Luther King Jr., and to celebrate uh, his legacy and the impact that he had on our country. And so you're going to hear at the end of the service today a a quick announcement from Janae, who is going to tell us an opportunity for a day of service tomorrow. We've done this in the past, typically for just the youth, but she and I visited, and we wanted to extend that invitation to the whole church. And so if you have that freedom and that opportunity tomorrow, we'd love for you to come join us. She'll she'll give you the details later in the service. Another announcement that I have for you, this morning is that if you've made your way down our our hallway as you came in today hopefully you saw some of the new uh, items that we have up on the main bulletin board as you walk down and then the big long bulletin board and so let me explain just quickly what we're trying to do there Uh, we started off the year with the idea of looking at Psalm 98 and seeing that our God is a God who makes all things new and so part of the first things that we want to anticipate as we start this new year is the power of God being able to make things new And so that that phrase there is you walk towards the sanctuary is a reminder that our hope is in Him and His ability to create that newness within us. But over there on the left-hand side, we have this other bulletin board that we just uh, put up there, and it's going to be used to direct our efforts towards prayer. And and so before I go too much further in that explanation, all of that work has been done by one of our very own April Lentz. I, I just saw April walk in. Where'd she sit? She's back there. So thank you so much, April, for your hard work, your artistic ability. Uh, you know, we've got some really creative people here in our church, and I love that. But, but here was what she and I discussed and what we're trying to accomplish, is that as we try to allow God to ignite something new within us and within this congregation, we know that has to be centered on prayer. And so we're going to try to challenge our folks to, to pray both privately and, and individually, but also to come together as a church and pray corporately. And so I'll go into more details next week. But when you walk down that long board, we're asking you to pick a day that you would be willing to set aside to pray and fast with a very intentional direction towards what God is doing in your life and in this church. And we're going to give you more specifics of what those prayers look like. We're going to talk more about praying and fasting. But the idea is that when we fill up those spaces with names, that we will, as a church, go through the entire year, really the entire month, where multiple people are praying on that day. So every day of the year, somebody is praying for what God is doing. So be thinking about that. If you already know maybe which day you would choose, stop by there, sign your name up on that form. We have other little forms that we would also ask you to fill out so we can keep record of those things and send out reminders that correspond with your day. But if you have the opportunity to do that today, we'd love for you to do it. And then I'll give you more details of how that's gonna begin to play itself out next week when we talk about the importance of prayer. And then as I mentioned earlier, a couple of weeks ago, we will end this month on Wednesday, uh, the 25th, meeting in Watson Chapel for a time for all of us to come together and pray corporately as a church. So I'm excited about it. So we continue uh, on this discussion of, of these key convictions that we have for our church that we hope will begin to shape the vision for the year. Uh, we started with the discussion on being gospel-centered, and today we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be biblically guided and the importance of Scripture. And so as we prepare for worship today, let me just remind you of the power of what we have in our hands when when we approach God's Word with the appropriate reverence that it deserves. This is more than just some book that we study. The Scriptures tell us God's Word is living and active. What an amazing thing to embrace. What an amazing truth to behold. And so let's just pray for the Lord to send His Spirit in such a way that when we open His Word and see what it is that He has to say for us, that we would see his power and his activity working within our hearts once again. So let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship. Would you bow your heads? Father, we love you. And we long to encounter you today. We long to hear your voice. And so send your spirit, send your presence, fill this room, fill our hearts, our souls, and our minds with, with your power, with your truth, and with your grace. Lead us accordingly, Father, we would see who you are and be changed thank you father for this opportunity we love you pray all this in jesus name amen amen so i'd like to invite the young children <clears throat> to come forward as you hear a word from Ms. caroline the rest of you stand up and greet somebody that you don't know and wish them a happy game day
0: you mm-hmm. see
2: And had her listening ears on and she was listening, Will, I believe I heard our pastor say something about a big game today. Does anybody know what kind of game it is? Is it a soccer game? No. It's not a soccer game. Is it a basketball game? No. 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 What is it, Luke?
3: Baseball.
2: Baseball? Is it a baseball game? No. Is it a chess game? No. What is it? Let me hear it. That's exactly right. It's a football game. Now, if Miss Caroline wanted to go to that football game, how would I know how to get there? So I want y'all to think. I want you to put your thinking caps on. If you happen to get in a car with your mom and dad, they did not know where they were going. What would they use to get there? What do you think, Riley? What would they use? Hang on, Riley first. A map. That's a good, very, very good. They would use a map. Riley, what were you going to say? You were going to say a map. Very good, Lukey. A phone, of course. Now, what's on the phone, of course? A map. A map. Now, how does looking say that one more time? A GPS. So, it's not just a map. It's a talking map. And it totally tells me where to go, right? So, you know what? It is not Dora. You're right. It is not that, that map. But you know what? God does the same thing for us. And he gives us a map to help us know how to follow his way and how to help us know where to go next. And you know what? He helps us know as individuals, as we want to follow God, but he also helps us know how to do that as a church. So every time our church gets together and we open God's word and we listen to him and we study him and we follow through and we open our ears to hear what he has to say, Scripture tells us that God directs our path. There's a beautiful verse in Psalms that I like. And it said, Blessed is the person who um, does not walk in the counsel or the direction of people who are wicked. But instead, blessed is this person who delights in the law and the words and the thoughts of God. Now, if I want to know where to go physically, I might look on a map. But if I want to know where to go spiritually, what do I do? Where do I look? Where do I go?
3: Uh, follow God. I go where? You follow God.
2: I follow God. Now, help, what helps me know how to follow God? Where can I find some of that? Look. At church, in the Bible. What else? What were you going to say? you know what? Our church and our Bible, what were you going to say? You can tell me too. You were thinking I could use a car. You know what? If I were in a car and I had my Bible, but what's crazy, even if I had my phone not just using my GPS, but instead using my Bible on my phone, it helps me know where God wants me to go and it helps me know how to get there. That I would be that loving and kind, compassionate person that follows God's way. So I encourage you to read scripture and to memorize it so that it's in your heart and it's in your head heart and head, and it helps you know what to do. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have written us words of love and words of hope. Father, we thank you that you have given us your your love letter that helps guide us and that helps us as we try to make decisions that glorify you, that guides us as we try to help um, do those things that honor you. Father, lead our hearts and lead our minds to be prepared to hear what you have to share with us today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: Preserved for our walk. In this world they resound <coughs> with God's own heart. All oh, let the ancient words impart.
0: Let's stand together. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. How wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. How wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand and covers me there with His hand. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there Weak made strong In the Savior's love Through the storm He is Lord, Lord of all His oath, His covenant, His blood Support me in the whelming cloud. Sound, oh, may I then in in him him be found just in his his righteousness righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Amen,
1: church. You could be seated. Guys, sounded great. So about eight years ago, uh, Jennifer and I, we were able to buy our first home. And so we we had that exciting milestone where we became homeowners. We'd been married about five years at that point, and and for the first five years of our marriage, we pretty much just lived in apartments. And um, I look back over that season of living in apartments with some pretty fond memories, I enjoyed that season of life. It was a simpler time when you live in an apartment. It's that season where you don't really care if your living room and your dining room and your kitchen kind of all merge together. And, you know, it's a season of life where hamburger helper is a home-cooked meal. It's just, it's just simpler, right? But after five years, you kind of get to the point where you're ready for something different. And so we finally were able to pull the trigger and buy a home. And, and that introduced us to the joys of homeownership. And you quickly realize that there are a lot of pros and cons to being a homeowner, one of the things that was so great about being in an apartment was that something breaks, something goes wrong, pick up a phone, call the landlord, call the office, they're going to come fix it for you. And then you own a home and you realize things break all the time. Multiple things seem to break at the same time and there ain't no phone call you're going to make. Right, there's no landlord, you're it. You've got to solve this thing. And so I quickly began to realize the challenges of home ownership and there was one particular thing that really I guess, taught me those challenges more than any other. And that was the fact that we had a pool. Now, interestingly enough, when we were looking for a home, we didn't want a pool. In fact, we said that specifically to our realtor. We said, this is the kind of district we want to be in for schools. This is the neighborhood. This is the layout. Just, we're not interested in having a a pool in our home. It was during the recession, 2008, 2009, and there weren't just a whole lot of homes on the market at that point. So, it was taking a long time for us to find anything. And so I remember being frustrated at one point and asking the realtor, is, is there anything else on your list? She said, you know, I saw this one the other day. It looked just like what you would want, but it's got a pool. I said, you know what, go ahead and take me there anyway. I, I want to see it. And, and so she drives, us, or drives me by the, by the house, and I, I immediately fall in love with it. I mean, everything about it. Loved the layout, loved the neighborhood. It, just, it was exactly what we wanted. So I called Jennifer, and I said, okay, I, I think we may have something here. The only catch is that it, it has a pool. So She shows up and she looks at it. She falls in love with it as well. And so we're faced with this one critical decision. Are we willing to forego our preference about pools and go ahead and buy this home? Well, we quickly realize there are worse things in life than having a home with a pool, right? I mean, hashtag first world problems. Am I right? I mean, it, it's okay. And so we, we start to have our minds filled with these images of how great this will be. You know, we'll, we'll go lay out by the pool, catch some sun. We'll, we'll take a swim in the hot Texas summer. We may have some pool parties. We're like, we're in. We're going to buy it by the house little did i know how frustrating it is to actually own a pool and how little i knew about how to take care of it i mean people would talk to me about chlorine tablets and shocking the pool and ph levels i had no idea what i was doing so it was a daily source of frustration cuz i'd go out there i'd put all this effort into keeping it clean making it look blue and clear and then like a day later i'd show up and it'd be green and there'd be algae on the walls and leaves that. Felt like I had a swamp more than I did a pool, and I was constantly frustrated. So if there was ever a story to tell you just how annoying it was to maintain this pool, I've got one for you. So it starts, I don't remember how quickly this happened, how, how long we had owned the home. But I remember waking up one day and I looked outside and we had two ducks swimming in our pool. And I thought, well, that's interesting, but I honestly didn't think too much of it. We we live kind of near Lake Arlington, and I thought, you know, they're just stopping by seeing what's going on at the Smith House, no big deal, just paying a visit. But I realized after several days, well, they're not just visiting. They they pretty much just love to hang out in our pool. And and so I walk outside one day and I realized these ducks, they weren't like two friends just hanging out with each other, trading stories, shooting the breeze. Now, what I had on my hands, I I had mama duck and papa duck. And I realized this because that day I walked out and I saw six or seven little baby ducks swimming in my pool. Oh, me! I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of sweet. That's kind of cool. But I didn't really know what to do with it because as I looked at them, I realized they were kind of in this predicament. I don't know how they got in the pool, but all I know is that the water was obviously high enough for them to get in, but it was too low for them to get out. And so they're swimming around trying to figure out a way out of the pool. Mama's in there trying to figure out as well. So my instinct is to try to help them. But I've seen enough Animal Planet to know you don't go touching the babies when mama's in the area. So I just kind of stopped and I thought, well... I'm going to let nature find a way. She'll figure out how to get them out of the pool. I'll, I'll, I'll see how this works out. So I go to work, and then uh, I call Jennifer at some point after lunch, check in, how the baby's doing. Oh, they're still out there. They haven't found their way out yet. Okay, well, I'll, I'll work on it when I get home. So I show up later that night, and uh, it's dark at this point. It's kind of later in the evening, and, and, I, and I walk back to the backyard thinking I'm going to be the hero, right? I'm about to enter into my own little Disney animated movie, right? I'm going to, have to save the little baby ducks, Put them back with mama. It's going to be a great, sweet, tender moment. Little did I know, I was about to walk into a horrific crime scene, that a great tragedy had undertaken my backyard. And I realized this as I approached the pool, and I see there are floating to my left, not um, swimming baby ducks, but baby ducks just floating, just two of them. The other four or five have no idea where they've gone, and this tragedy hits me in the face, and I begin to wonder what in the world has transpired. And as I survey the area, I see the first suspect. For there on the right side of the pool is a possum swimming in my pool. Now, I'm not a detective, but I kind of put two and two together that that possum had something to do with the demise of these ducks that were no longer with us. And and so I look at this possum, and I see that it is now in the same situation that the baby ducks were in, that, that it can't get out of the pool. Okay, now listen, there are so many things you encounter with home ownership where you just think to yourself, I don't want to do that. I, there's no part of me that wants to fix that right there. And this was my first moment at that feeling because have you seen a possum? Right, they're ugly, okay? Have you seen a wet possum? <laughs> they're uglier. And so I'm looking at this thing like furiously swimming in my pool and I'm going, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to solve this issue, but I know I have to. And so I come up with a battle plan, right? And, and I start thinking, how am I going to solve this? And all I know is I want this possum out of my yard as quickly as possible. So I get the little uh, net that you use to scoop the leaves out of the pool. And, and my thought process is I'll scoop him up. He'll fall in the net. I'll take him to the back fence, and I'll just empty him into my neighbor's yard, okay? <laughs> Not the most neighborly of thoughts, but be, I didn't care, honestly. I just wanted the thing gone, okay? So, so I take... The, 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 the little net and I approach the edge of the water and I, I prepare for battle and, and I begin to scoop this possum into the net, only he doesn't fall into the net. He, he hangs on to the edge of it and he just like latches on. And he's like, you know, and just stares at me. And he's, he's looking at me and I have this panic attack where I can just see that he's about to launch himself, scurry down the pole and launch himself at me. And this is going to be how it ends for me, right? I, I'm about to join these baby ducks in eternal glory right there in my backyard. And so I panic. And I start running to the back fence, to the neighbor's fence. And as I'm running, I see this guy's got a grip. I mean, he's just like hanging on. And so it hits me that as I get to the fence, I'm gonna have to use some serious force to get this thing off of my little pool net. So I get there and I mean, with everything I have, I just go, wham! And I hear the loudest thud, just boom. And sadly, I didn't hear anything scurry off after that. And so there I am, and it all overtakes me. And I realize I'm standing in my backyard surrounded by death. I mean, I've got baby ducks dead on one side, dead possums on the other. And all I can think of is this is such a far cry of these images that I had in my mind about owning a pool. It was such an annoyance. I mean, daily struggling with how do you take care of this thing? Because the reality was I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue how to take care of that thing. And so it was a constant frustration. And what I really needed was, was somebody to come alongside and teach me, right? To show me what to do, to, to train me in a certain way, correct my mistakes. The problem was that because I didn't have those things, I spent most of my time maintaining something and never really using it the way it was designed to be used. Think about that story, and it seems to be pretty emblematic of life, isn't it? We have these moments, we have these circumstances, these, these situations that we encounter, think to ourselves man I don't want to have to do that I don't know how to take that on and we need some sort of voice that can come alongside and navigate us through it that can guide us and say here's what you need to do teach you and show you Let me correct you here when we have that voice it opens our eyes that we might live exactly how it is that we were to live well it's that desire and it's that need that brings us to this this is what gives us that voice Well, we've started this series, and we talked about being gospel-centered last week, and today we're going to talk about the, the essential quality to be biblically guided as a church. Can I just tell you that from the very beginning here as we start this conversation, I love this book. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, I love the last novel that I read, or I love football, or I love chocolate, or anything like that. I mean, I love this book. It changed me. Inspired me, it's challenged me, it's comforted me. It is so essential, in life. So I wonder as we approach this topic today, where are you? And I'd be willing to bet there's a spectrum, right? That on one end of the spectrum, people are here today and they, they have that same passion, that devotion. They've been transformed and changed by this word. They understand its necessity to life. On the other end of the spectrum, perhaps somebody. Is here today, or several people are here today who have never truly understood the power of the gospel and had the chance to have this word radically transform you. I and mean, then there's everything in between. But my word to us as we begin today is: regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, let us approach the scriptures once again and see their power, see their value, give us that voice that's going to awaken us to see how life is truly to be lived. Let's hear His voice. Let me pray for us and we'll begin. Father, we love you. We need you. Speak. Your servants are listening. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to begin this this topic, what's going to set the tone is going to be 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And and let me explain a little bit of the nature of this letter. The majority of Paul's letters are typically written to churches. Right? We have the letter to the church in Corinth to Ephesus, to Philippi, Thessalonica, and several others, correct? But every once in a while, we see him write a letter (coughs) to some individuals, to Timothy, to Titus. Well, these letters are known to be pastoral epistles because what he's doing here is he's writing these, these men that he is kind of discipled and trained, and he's teaching them how to lead a church. And so he's giving them instruction. There's a certain familial tone to it that He refers to Timothy as a son. There's an intimacy that we find here. But the primary theme for these pastoral epistles is to teach sound doctrine. And you see that play itself out repeatedly at the beginning of this letter. The things you heard me say, consider them to be sound teaching. Take take these things that I've told you and teach them to reliable people who can teach others. Keep on reminding them of these things. Over and over again, he's drawing them back to the essence and the essential quality of the gospel. And it's sound doctrine. Now, congruent to that is Paul's approach to also remind him of the false teachings that are out there. The things that can distort that truth and lead us astray. So so we're going to tackle this topic today in those two categories. We're going to begin today by talking about the false teachings that can pull us aside and lead us and and, and distract us from having a clear understanding of how the Scriptures are designed to guide us. But then we're going to end with a brief comment on the section of what it is that the scriptures do and what it is that they accomplish within us. And so with that structure in mind, we're actually going to pick up in chapter four. That, that's not listed in your worship guide. I, I made that change later. In chapter four, starting verse one, let's, let's give a mind towards the false teachings that are out there. Here's what he says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word So, in order for us to truly allow the Scriptures to guide us, we have to first do the hard work of saying, what is going to pull us astray? What are the false teachings that are out there? Here's what I would say is at the core of those false teachings, regardless of which one we look at. It ultimately takes us to the problem of sin. Right? That we, we have this moment, that, this impulse, that led us to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because we wanted to know what was right and wrong for ourselves that at our core we have this impulse to be in control that's what we want and so as a result we are drawn to teachings that are going to give us a simple formula that allow us to maintain that control a plus b is going to give you c do these things and, and you're going to get this result we love that sort of thing because it ultimately says you can fix yourself you were in control so that is the essence, that's kind of the core of these, these teachings that are going to lead us astray. And so maybe one way that we can explore a list of them this morning is by asking that question, so what do we desire? What are the things that we like to hear that can maybe distort the truth? That's a long list, right? There's a lot of things we could say. I've got three that I want to address today. Let me start with materialism, okay? We live in a very materialistic society. It's rampant in our culture. We see it from the greed that plays out in front of us to this crazy disparity between rich and poor. It's, it's everywhere around us. Let, let me highlight and extrapolate one particular quality of our culture that might bring it to some greater clarity. Let me talk to you about storage facilities. Do you realize that, that in our country we have over 2 billion square feet of storage facilities? We have more storage facilities than we do McDonald's and Starbucks combined. It makes more money than Hollywood. Now, interestingly enough... Uh, over the last 50 to 60 years, uh, things have changed, right? The, in the 70s, the average size of an American home is around 1,600 square feet. Today, it's a little over 2,400. Now, in that same time frame, the average size of the American family has diminished. It, it's lessened. So, over the last 50 to 60 years, our homes have gotten bigger, our families have gotten smaller, and yet we need 2 billion square feet of storage facilities to keep all the stuff we're not using. I have a professor that told me at one point she said, you want to explain something difficult go to a third world country and try to explain to them the need for storage space. Talk to somebody that lives in a hut with their entire family with one set of clothes and explain to them that you actually have another building that holds all the stuff you don't use. Rampant materialism in our culture. Now what's happened is is that that has begun to infiltrate in some respects how we view material possessions in the church. Right? Here's what we do with, with stuff and what we do with generosity. We reduce it to a formula. Give 10, go play with 90, right? So not surprisingly, there's this article in Christianity Today that says that up to two-thirds of the average American churchgoer actually believes that God wants them to be prosperous. And so we, we play with these material things, we buy into this thinking and, and we have these extravagant homes and these extravagant, extravagant vacations and all these things and we just qualify it by saying, well, we're blessed. Maybe. Or maybe it's the one thing that's keeping you from a clearer understanding of who God is, what He wants you to do. It's not just materialism. I want to talk to you about another teaching that I think has worked its way into our culture that we have to guard against. This teaching is founded on love. Let me explain that. So love is obviously not inherently a, a bad thing, but what we've done now in our society and it's gaining more and more traction, is we've changed the definition of love. See, love in our society is really reduced to tolerance. Right? The, 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 the one thing we must do is tolerate every idea, every lifestyle, every belief, every ideology, whatever it is, we must tolerate them. And the one great sin in our culture is intolerance. That will then, oh, we can't listen to you. And so what we have now is that your truth is just as important as my truth, so do you go your way, I'll go mine, and we'll just be happy to live and never really have a discussion about which one is right. And we fool ourselves into thinking that at some point this isn't going to create conflict. And we have this conflict erupt all around us, don't we? What we are seeing is that we have tried to take the idea of truth and detaching it from love, and now we have all these problems. There's this chasm that's been created between us now that we don't even know <clears throat> how to have a civil conversation about truth anymore. So Beth Moore uh, was recently teaching. She had this great quote that just really resonated with me. Here, here's how she said it's impacting our churches. It says, you'll watch a generation of Christians, Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil schemes in your generation. Sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you will rise or fall based on whether you will sacrifice one for the other. So will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? Love that quote. What we can never forget is that love always pursues truth. And what's sad is that this this chasm that we've created, this idea that we can just go our own way and live the way we want to live, is is creating this tension to where we, we have this breakdown in communication. And sadly, I feel like we're getting our cue from another dominant teaching in our culture. Let me talk to you about this third one that I want us to be on... A guard against i want to talk to you about politics everybody just got really nervous <laughs> i would be irresponsible if i didn't at least address the climate in which we live here's what i want to say <clears throat> if there was ever an example of people that will gather around teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear it's politics we are so polarized in this country, and we, we can just saturate and inundate ourselves with so much of the same rhetoric that we can turn on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC and just tell and have our voices tell us exactly what we want to hear. And it is creating this crazy divide between us. And so what happens is, is we have this, this divide where we just talk about other people with labels. We don't talk to them, we just assign labels to them. We have Republican and Democrat, red state, blue state. Liberal, conservative, and yet the greater the gap, the greater the hostility, the greater the anger, and we quit using those table uh, terms, and we become a little bit more spiteful. And now it's not just liberal and conservative; it's elitist and racist, and it's infiltrating our culture to a very alarming rate. This is what grieves me. What grieves me is that somewhere along the way, we, we as Christians, we as the body of Christ, sometimes fall victim to the idea. That God's kingdom needs to be advanced through the ballot box. And and that our hope is in the government. And all of a sudden we begin to sacrifice scripture and truth for a political ideology. We, We will let our politics guide our faith rather than our faith guide our politics. And we become this very predictable voting block that distorts the gospel. And it grieves me. Let me just explain it very clearly, as clearly as I know how to today. The scriptures don't fit in a political party. They don't. Neither one of them. They don't fit in a political party. So let's quit pretending like they might. And let's quit arguing as if we can make it into one party over the other. We've got to stop doing this, this divide that create that we see around us and let it infiltrate our churches. It's not just how we evaluate the political system, but even how we govern ourselves now. And so we'll, we'll look at denominations. We'll look at other churches. We'll look at other believers, and we'll start doing the same thing. We have this chasm between us, and so we just assign labels. Oh, well, look at that. Yeah, that's, they're liberal, conservative, fundamentalists. They're too progressive. And I, I'm from Abilene, Texas. I love the Bible Belt, right? I grew up around Methodist, Church of Christ, Charismatic, Baptist. I grew up in a Presbyterian church in Abilene, Texas. Some time in Oklahoma, went to non-denominational church, went to Southern Baptist church, then I went to a non-denominational seminary in California. Lived out there before ultimately coming back home to the DFW area and becoming a Baptist minister. You can guess how many times people looked at me and just automatically labeled me as either conservative or liberal without knowing me. How many times I was in a conversation and heard somebody say, oh, you don't want to know about that church. They're too liberal. Oh, them, they're way too fundamentalist. What a joke. Just throw those terms around? Label the body of Christ like that? We're we? gets to decide liberal and conservative who sets that line i tell you the last thing i care about is that label or adhering to labels as if we need to be careful about whether we're liberal or conservative what i want to be known as is a christian And I'm a Baptist, and I'm proud to be a Baptist. There's a reason. So I don't look to try to drop these labels and and change the name so that people might appeal to us a little bit more friendly and things along those lines. I don't care about that. I'm not trying to play the game by dropping labels. I'm a Christian who follows the Bible. That's who I want to be known as. These are the teachings that infiltrate the way in which we function with each other, and we've got to be on guard against them, among many others. And here's what they all have at their core. It's that word, it's that whisper, you control, right? Buy what you want to buy. Believe what you want to believe. Your truth is more important than anyone else's. Live how you want to live. That's, that's what we have to acknowledge. See, if we're really going to approach the scriptures and allow it to guide us, we have to approach it with the right posture. Right? And what we see is that the gospel takes us to that same problem of sin but gives us a totally different message, Right, The gospel is going to take us to that rebellion that we have, that we, we turn our back on God and say, let me go my own way. Let me be in control. And, and we have this chasm between us and God. So we, we have this distance and we just throw labels at him. And we just describe him however we want to describe him. And we have no idea how to really reconnect with him. And so God in his great love for us says, I'm not going to let that chasm exist. I'm going to pull you in close. I'm going to show you. Who I am God leaves the thrones of heaven and dwells among us and he shows himself in the person of Jesus and Jesus in his great love for us hangs on the cross and through that blood through that sacrifice we have that forgiveness for our sins we have that that penalty that's being paid and then he's put in the tomb and he's resurrected three days later and now we don't just have forgiveness we have the promise of everlasting life and so we encounter this gospel and we say yes Give me Jesus, give me heaven, give me salvation, but let me stay in control. That's not the message of the gospel. Jesus says, he says, you want to be my disciple? You're going to have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. The posture that we approach the scriptures, the message of the gospel is very simple. You are not in control. Die to self. To be biblically guided, the first step we have to do is acknowledge that we are broken and we must come to the scriptures and choose surrender and obedience, not control. If we don't change that posture, we can take this book and make it say whatever we want to say. Just look smart, get our own agendas accomplished. No, we have to assume the posture that we want to be guided, that we need that voice. What does it say? Real quickly, chapter 3, backing up just a little bit. Here's what we get to see the benefit of having this voice spoken into us. Starting in verse <clears throat> 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, I love that. Isn't that awesome? So the first step that Paul brings to our attention is learn. Continue to learn. That what we see here is this is a a scripture that we're going to actually have to put some work into. And and that word does not just simply mean to, to gather information and to acquire knowledge. It's eliciting the idea that it's actually going to awaken a deeper commitment... It's about obedience, that it's actually going to change us, that we're going to see an external effect in place. And so we have to achieve this by first acknowledging there's no room for biblical illiteracy. I mean, you can go home and Google it and see all the statistics, right, that maybe 40% of the average American churchgoer picks up their Bible and reads it maybe once or twice a month, that one in five churchgoers don't read it at all. And another problem we struggle with is we outsource our understanding of Scripture. So we'll come in and we'll listen to what a preacher has to say. We'll download podcasts. We'll listen to our Sunday school teacher. And when we pick up a book, it's usually one that's written by somebody else who's also going to tell us what we need to think about the scriptures. Now listen, all those things are good. Keep doing that. But at some point, it's not enough. You have to actually pick up the Bible yourself and read it and digest it and learn from it. Every word I ever share with you from this pulpit needs to be measured against the word of God. And you are there to hold me accountable, just as I am to you, he is what guides us. We, we have to take that on. And that learning should then awaken that deeper sense of commitment within all of us. Now, what I love about it is that Paul says here, all scripture is God-breathed. Man, I love that. It is an authority in our life. Right? This book is more than just words on a page. Right? This is not the invention of man. Man couldn't do this. Are you kidding me? Too stupid. Right? I mean, think about it. Think about the level of intricacy that would have to be put in place for for us to come up with some story that could just repeat itself after thousands of years. Let's never forget the miracle of the Scriptures. 66 books over 40 different authors written on several different continents over thousands of years all pointing to the same God. That's not the work of man. That's the work of the power of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's His voice. It's useful. It's useful. Right, it's beneficial. We can can benefit from this because he comes alongside and he teaches, rebukes, corrects. I love love that little list there. What it tells me, it reminds me that that I'm not going to have it all figured out. I, I need to not be afraid to say, I don't know. I have no idea how to handle this. I have no idea how to navigate this. We don't project ourselves as people that have it all together but what we need to be able to do is say, you know, I don't know how to answer that, but I know where to go. We go to the text. Let me close with this. My favorite part of this this little description here at the end, are those last words where he says, "It is used to train in righteousness, that the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work." And with that ignites within me is this amazing reality This a great revelation that the scriptures are not in place just to correct our behavior right just some moral code that we need to follow some something that will tell us what we need to do and how we need to go about it no they awaken us to purpose they give us meaning they give us significance they show us that there's an amazing plan that god has put in place and we get to play a part it gives us an awareness to see that this is how life is meant to be lived. This is where you find it abundantly if you follow me. I love that. So do you hear him? Do you hear his voice? So what the scriptures do is they bring us right to his feet to reveal who he is. They disclose his power. They give us his voice. Do you hear him? What we see is that our God is a God who spoke the world into existence. He sends the torrents of rain and assigns the colors of the rainbow. He, he determines the parameters of the sea and gives it its depth. He gives the strength to the horse, the wings to the eagle, the life to you and to me. Do you hear him? He lets kingdoms rise and fall as he seeks to establish his own. He reveals Himself not as a distant God, but a loving Father. The Lord, the Lord. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hear Him. He reveals Himself as Jesus Christ. Follow me. You can have a peace that transcends understanding. You can have a hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade. You hear Him. He speaks to you and he says, there is nothing that you should fear. There is no condemnation for you. No matter how far the distance, nothing can separate you from my love. Not death, not life, not angels or demons, the future, not the present, not height, not depth, not any power. Nothing in all creation can separate you from my love. Be hearing. Let's listen to His voice and let us leave here today with a clear understanding. We are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, flowers fall. The word of the Lord endures forever. Let us hear His voice. Follow. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you. That we confess the things that distract us, that lead us astray. Let us repent of those things so that we can hear you more clearly follow you with the devotion that you desire. Speak, Father. Servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to offer a word of invitation. So if any of you are out there and you're wondering what life with Jesus really looks like, that most of your life has been this annoyance where you're just constantly trying to maintain and survive. Let me remind you that God created you for a purpose, and that purpose is salvation in Christ. So, if that's a decision you've never made and you want to make today, then then by all means, come forward and declare that publicly. You want to join the church? Join the church, and we'd love to have you. We'd be excited to have you be a part of this church family. If you need prayer for anything, then come forward for prayer. All these invitations. Now, before I transition it back to Casey, as you can respond to that, let me just offer a quick word as well and disinvite you to something. If you notice on the back of your worship guide, there's a comment about a church council meeting at noon. Yeah, that's not happening. That was a mistake from last week. So if you were thinking you were invited to that, you're not. Okay, so don't worry about it. Everything else, though, that we just talked about, by all means, we want you to respond. Okay, so let's let the Spirit speak and respond in a sense of surrender and obedience. Let's stand together as we sing the song of invitation.
0: Oh,
5: joy and excitement for the privilege of inviting you into this study through 2nd Timothy. The name of the five-week series is Entrusted. If you and I could only grasp the profound importance of what God has entrusted to us, our struggle with insignificance would be over. He has placed a measure of faith in us. He has given us something he's asking, can I trust you with this or not? When we're done here, it is all that is going to matter. God wants to raise us up mighty in his name. Like Paul and Timothy, he is calling us to lock arms generationally so that we can have maximum impact and mutual joy. I am confident that when I open the Word of God and I study the Word of God, that it will make my day more powerful because I've been right here with you. In a world of bad news, we are the bearers of the good news. We have been entrusted with the job of making sure that the world knows this is not a God forsaken world. Let's rise up mighty in His name to the task that He set before us.
6: Well, first I have to thank Jeremiah for giving me the best setup ever for an announcement. Uh, Not only has he told us what we need to do in studying God's Word, he used Beth Moore as an example, and he used 2 Timothy. Uh, Entrusted is a Bible study for women that will start this coming Wednesday night, 6 p.m. It will be in room 101, so as soon as you enter the church from the north door It is to your immediate left. We would love to have it packed with women studying God's word so that each of us is equipped to do good deeds. Um, I would also like to mention that the Women to Women group will be honoring Jennifer Smith and getting to know Jennifer better on February 11th, and those tickets will be on sale starting today after church and for the next several Sundays, and we hope all the women will be able to attend that as well. Thank you.
4: Good morning. My name is Janae Pilcher. I'm the Interim Youth Minister here at UBC, Um, but this announcement is not just for youth, so I hope everybody's still paying attention. Um, So tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and um, Tarrant Churches Together honors his memory and his service with a day of, of service. So, um. Tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. we're going to meet out here in front of UBC and then we're going to go over to Baker Chapel for a joint worship service for all the churches that are involved. And then at about 10 we're going to head to a, a service site and we'll serve from about 10 until 1230 and then we'll go to Broadway Baptist Church for lunch and that is provided by the church. And then um, we'll be done around two. And I would really like anybody that is um, free tomorrow to join us. So um, if you would like some more information about that, you can come talk to me. I'll be right down here at the front. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Janae. Well, let's stand together. As we, uh, as we go, we will, sing, we will go with a song on our lips, and let's sing
3: Love the Lord together.
0: With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all